0: All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day, just to be alive and have the chance to worship you in this way, to submit to your spirit and your word. We know we're nothing without you, Father. We are hopeless and useless without you, but you give us by grace these means of thinking with you and sharing the same heart as you. Most of all, Father, we're thankful that your Son made this all possible. That you sent Him and He willingly went to the cross on our behalf to take away our judgment for all those who would repent and trust in Him to be saved forever and ever and give an eternal life. Father, help us never be familiar with this Reality and how you changed our whole lives by this one act. Father, we also ask that your spirit guide us and teach us right now. Help us humbly listen to what is being said as we know your spirit and your word. Give the truth. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. By the power of your spirit, Amen. All right, who? Uh, what is repentance, and who gets to define it? Part twenty. So we had a little, um, you know, interlude, if you will, on Sunday. Sunday's message on the mercy of God, being thankful for that, and uh, also another topic was woven in there about living in the now, and and it was just uh, a re- very refreshing. Thing to step back and hear. Um, and we might say that if we appreciate the mercy of God being active in our lives every day, that we will live more for the now. It's when we lose that appreciation of God's mercy and how <laughs> every second of every day, He's honestly being merciful towards us for the things we think, the things we say, the things we do, our disobedience. So He's always being merciful. And if we keep that perspective of gratitude throughout the day, then you know what? You're going to live for it today. You're going to live in the now. You're not going to care about tomorrow because you're grateful that he just lets you breathe, that he provides for you, even though we do the things we do. So something came out on Tuesday that I wanted to share that I don't think was on the board regarding learning to live in the now. We have bought the lie that any other time other than the present, is what really counts. Just think about that. Society has almost trained us to always look in the past or plan for the future. And it's not a surprise because the Bible says this is the devil's world. It's his system. So, of course, that's what he's going to do. He doesn't want you to rest in the present and trust in God in, in the now. So again, we bought the lie that any other time other than the present is what really counts when it's actually the opposite. What matters really is the present. It's the only part of time we can participate in right now. It's the only time you can actively participate in. And the big picture, what matters is the situation that the lost find themselves in right now that if the rapture happened tonight and the Lord returned, unbelievers would be lost forever. And so that's a perspective we should carry with us in our pocket every day, as it might be the last day today. So yes, God knows it all, and He's in control. But the idea of the situation of the lost should give us a perspective in our daily walk, and even more love for our fellow man. It might be the last day. Turn again in your Bibles to Hebrews 3, verse 1. We think we're going to live forever, but when God wants you, He wants you. When it's your time, it's your time. And if the rapture happens, nobody has no one has a say in it. No one gets a warning. No one gets a, you know, all right, I'll tell you what. I'm going to tell you I'm going to give you 30 more days, so... Max it out for me. There's none of that. Jesus said, always live in my imminency. Live as though I might be coming today. Keep your chin up and look out for me. Don't be one that is deceived and isn't looking out for me and wasting, wasting away their life. Hebrews 3.1 Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. There's another thing pointing to the deity of Jesus Christ, that he's the builder of the house in verse 3, and the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Uh, We saw on, on Tuesday, rather, on the board, regarding this phrase, until the end, A person who doesn't hold fast until the end is an apostate, according to the Scriptures, someone who was never saved in the first place. Apostasy is a case of false profession of faith, the proof being that said faith doesn't hold up over time. So that's a constant theme that we've been seeing in our studies recently. Uh, Just it is what it is, you know. Real faith endures. Real faith, if given by God, is powerful it's divinely powerful it can't fail in the end Uh, look at Hebrews 3 7 therefore just as the Holy Spirit says today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me as in the day of trial in the wilderness he's talking about the Old Testament Jews uh, after the exodus where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And we saw this on Tuesday as well on the board. As long as it is called today. We are to live in the now because time is short and there are some who profess faith in Christ who aren't quote-unquote known by Him. We get that from Matthew seven twenty three. The weight of our yesterday or tomorrow pales in comparison to somebody else's eternity. That's why we ought to live in the now and bring Him the most glory we can, help bring people to Christ, one day at a time, because eternity is a long time, (laughs) a long time to be wrong. This is the divine perspective that the Spirit's been giving us. On the board, God wants us to be flexible every day, looking out for divine opportunities, being open to His Spirit, changing our agenda for today. Just think about that. This is a perspective issue, you know, What's your perspective when you wake up in the morning? First of all, are you grateful for salvation, that it's a gift and it's not something you have to earn? That, that should be like we've talked about, our daily wake-up prayer. But then what's your attitude about your day going forward? Are you flexible to what God might want for you today? And that happens every day you wake up. Today. It's only today, right? When you wake up, it's only today that exists so what is your attitude about your day? Are you looking out for divine opportunities being open to a spirit changing your agenda for the day? And part of our problem is, as people, maybe it's a problem of the flesh, I don't know, but most people hate change. They just hate change, whatever it is. You know, I mean, granted, if you give them the lottery, I guess they'd be happy. They'd find out they hate that too once they, they get that kind of a quote-unquote gift. But in general, people hate change we as believers need to learn to embrace change, be ready and open to it, because honestly, that's our calling. What, what does the Bible call us? It says we're pilgrims passing through. What's a pilgrim do? He moves on from place to place. He doesn't set up his home in any permanent fashion, Okay, at least not mentally. He's not bound to the things of this earth. So if that's us, That means one day at a time, as long as it's called today, he's like, okay, here's what I have for you today. Are you going to follow my lead or not? Because this life's temporary. One day God might change your schedule. You know, he might change your agenda, your, your plans for the day. Another day he might change your job, for example, something bigger. But the question is, are you open to his direction? Are you open to his life for you? Again, on the board, God wants us to be flexible every day, looking out for divine opportunities, being open to His Spirit, changing our agenda for today. We'll get to that a little bit more later on. And what came up on Tuesday also is, who are we that God lets us participate in saving a soul? That's really what it's all about, to be able to have the opportunity to bring someone to Christ so that they're no longer lost, they're no longer suffering wallowing in their own misery they're no longer deceived by satan and the kingdom of darkness but he lets us participate in people's salvation obviously he does all the convicting but he lets us plant and water according to the scriptures but if you're not flexible if you're not open to him changing your agenda even actively throughout your day you might miss something he put right under your nose Because you're so obsessed with your own plan. Your own idea of what today should be. It's not our day anyway, is it? So it's a merciful gift, really, for a sinner who's saved by grace to be able to have a peace in saving another sinner. Crazy, God's plan, how how it is. So again, look at Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden harden your hearts as when they provoked me. So more perspective on the board Most Christians, at least to some degree, are living either in the past or the future, or both. This shows a lack of faith, really, as well as an arrogance that does not put others before self. We saw this on Tuesday. Uh, Turn again in your Bibles to Philippians 2, verse 1, which is such a marvelous passage to remind us of the right perspective and what Jesus did, putting all of us ahead of him even though he was the only one deserving so much of our problem is a lack of faith as we talked about last night in the Bible study Um, for example why do we fear why do we all of a sudden find ourselves in fear in certain situations it almost creeps up on us well it's lack of faith ultimately lack of trust in God to have our back So again, Philippians 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Just think about that. And think about the fact that Jesus wasn't continually looking at the past at the comfort he had with the Father in heaven. While he was on earth. He was focused on his present mission. His present calling to please the Father. He wasn't obsessed with the past. Maybe even being in like self-pity. Oh, I wish I could just be back up in heaven again. You know, do I have to go through this cross? And he prayed. He had, you know, his temptations without sinning. But just think about that. He lived in the present more than anybody else. In verse 7, he emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So on the board, self-absorption and self-pity lead to an unhealthy preoccupation with the past or the future. But if we keep our eyes on the Lord instead of self, we are useful to the Master today, while it's still called today. To be set free from such bondage, we must constantly be grateful for today and for God's grace in the moment, for God's mercy in the moment, and for the current presence of His mercy in our lives in saving us daily. Who keeps us saved? Somehow, some way as wretched as we can be sometimes. He does. So that constant gratitude for His mercy. And so it's going to keep our eyes on Him and keep our eyes in today. Again, on the board, self-absorption and self-pity lead to an unhealthy preoccupation with the past or the future. So if you're, if you're thinking about the past or the future a lot in your day, you're probably in one of those two things, or both self-absorption and self-pity. So catch yourself Right? Confess your sins to the Lord. Repent. It's a hard issue. And be like, okay, fill me with your spirit again, Lord. What What am I doing? Sorry. He knows. But like, catch yourself. These are the signs. Looking at the past or the future. Being occupied with that. But if we keep our eyes on the Lord instead of self, we are useful to the Master today. And also we saw on Tuesday, some more perspective, it is our duty as loving members of Christ's magnificent body to remind each other that today, right now, is a grace gift from our Heavenly Father. Let us share it with others, not being self-absorbed about yesterday or today. And maybe, just maybe, God might use you in your humility to save us all because you choose to live like a pilgrim you choose to not be tethered to anything in this world especially in your soul you choose to not be grounded bound to anything a pilgrim passing through looks for people that he can take with him almost like paul on his missionary journeys i was thinking what did he do he'd go from town to town he'd preach the gospel with boldness you know, in the power of the Spirit. And some went with him, and some stayed behind by their own choice. So it's almost like that that pilgrim (laughs) traveling around saying, are you going to come with me or not? And that's us every day. Like whatever mission you have, whatever um, wherever you're placed in the plan of God, whatever your job is, that's your little mission field, your own ministry. And if you stay flexible and open, then you won't be so caught up in your own agenda for the day. God might, you know, twist and turn it for you if you're looking, and you might be able to take somebody with you. Because your job that you're in right now, you're not going to be in that job forever. Right? So why do we act like we're going to be in it forever? Bound to it. You know, I'm not saying disrespect your job or don't do your works unto the Lord, okay? You know what I'm saying. What's your attitude toward the things of the world? Are you... um, in bondage to them so that you can't mention the gospel, for example? Are you not open to his putting someone in your path? So ponder this for a minute. How many of you like to be spontaneous? Some do, some don't. A lot of people do. But whatever, just think about it for a minute. How many of you like to be spontaneous? A lot of people wish they were more spontaneous in life enjoying opportunities with friends or family, not being so locked up in the routine. And routine is necessary and is a good thing in our lives. I'm not saying that. And it's a blessing from God, for example, to have work every day to keep us out of trouble. I was talking to Jeremy before class about that, right? Keep you out of your own head even and keep you out of trouble. God gave that to us as a gift. And then along that path is our ministry as well for each of us. So I'm not saying routine is bad or or, or work isn't going to be the same every day, so to speak. But do you realize the Lord gives us permission to be spontaneous in life? Especially when it regards the gospel. He calls us to live in the now. Be open to changing our schedule or agenda so we can obey the Spirit's conviction to reach out to certain people. To befriend certain people, maybe. You know, what is, what is evangelism? It's really a lifestyle. It's really a, uh, a lifestyle of reaching out to people. And it might start with just simply befriending somebody that, doesn't, that isn't loved or whatever the situation is. So he calls us to live in the now and be open to his conviction about where to turn, who to speak to. And don't you think the Lord will cover your back? If you're at work, for example, and and you you really are convicted or you you see an opening that that is pretty apparent from him and you decide to take it, don't you think he's going to cover you back? Do you think maybe also it's an opportunity to suffer for Christ's name that you might be persecuted and you can be as the disciples in Acts 2, they went on their way rejoicing because they were called to suffer for his name? Who are we that we can suffer for his name like that and bring him glory in that way? So it takes faith. Again, it's back to faith. And if you don't have enough, ask for more. Think about this. If you have a busy day at work or you have work you'd really like to get done today, but you hear the Spirit telling you to pay a particular attention to a certain person, will you be so occupied with getting ahead on your work To satisfy your own desires or your own anal retentive tendencies? Or will you be open to helping others and trust him for the results? Uh, Which one are you going to be? Are you going to be so obsessed with your agenda for the day that you close everything else out because you want what you want for your day? You know, we we love to get ahead, don't we? What is that about us? It's definitely got to be the flesh. Got to get ahead in this. I want to to get ahead. I'll feel better if I get ahead. I'll feel better if I save more in this fashion or that fashion. I get ahead on my bills, whatever. What is that? Honestly, probably a lack of faith. We're striving for our own security in some way. So, again, this isn't for condemnation at all, but what's our attitude about today? What are we going into it as our lives as Christians can and should be spontaneous in the sense we should be open and even excited for the Lord's direction in our day. And on the board, life is boring only when we submit to our own agendas for the day. We mustn't let our flesh make us captive to a selfish agenda, but we must constantly seek His agenda. If we remain open, who is leading our lives each day will be interesting and you know full of wonder i'm not saying though every day is going to be like wild right <laughs> totally different totally exciting oh every day god's going to do something now in my in my work day no that's not the point but it's the perspective it's the being open that makes life interesting all right and he might give you tomorrow the blandest day that's such a 9 to 5, exactly what you expected. No opportunities uh, necessarily with people. But that's not the point. The point is the perspective that we should be having through our day. And being open and being like, what's around the corner? I mean, God is full of surprises. We miss a lot of them because we're arrogant or whatever, self-absorbed. But what's around the corner? That should be our attitude, kind of like, again, the pilgrim who's not bound to anything in this world. So something for each of us to think about and pray about, for God to change your perspective in this area, as this world tries to get us to be more OCD all the time, right? Obsessive compulsive. -compulsive. Technology. You got to do it now. You can't miss this. Can't miss that. Got to get ahead. (laughs) Ugh. So the big question as we go throughout our day, which came out on the last two lessons, is who are we depending on? And this is a daily faith decision, to walk by the Spirit or to walk by the flesh. So some more perspective. Why do we expend so much time and energy on being anxious? Why do we try to fix yesterday's mistakes and prepare for tomorrow's? Who are we depending on in many ways? One of my favorite passages we saw in Matthew 6 24 through 34 on the board verse 25 says for this reason I say to you do not be worried about your life and in verse 34 so do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself each day has enough trouble of its own from Jesus' own mouth what do we do? We focus on the past and the future what did he say and what does the word say over and over? Folks on today as long as it's called today. So this led into the idea that God gives us mercy each and every day even. He gives us the ability to walk the ability to remember our salvation every day to enjoy the deliverance that he's purchased for us every day if we're willing to look at him instead of ourselves. And here's a key point that came up the last two lessons that is worth repeating our hope is in christ period he's our only hope and christ is the greatest expression of mercy in the history of the universe not an overstatement we make a lot of overstatements that's the truth that's it what greater show of mercy than there is there than that so we've seen, we've seen all these scriptures on the board the last two uh, lessons as well. On Tuesday, we visited a passage that's not on the board. So turn again in your Bibles to Ephesians 3, verse 14. Ephesians 3, 14. And this was a glimpse of Paul's gratitude for God's mercy. And so we should, we should embrace this as our own attitude if we're humble. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So we are right and wise to be overwhelmed by the mercy of God. That's a very wise way to think, and it's the right way to think. To be overwhelmed by the mercy and the love of God, as mentioned in this passage. The very simple point that should daily be treasured like gold is this on the board. God didn't have to send his son. He didn't have to do it, period. And if he decided not to do it, we'd all be hopeless he didn't have to send his son as a divine show of mercy but he did and no more should be said we should rest on that In other words, like close your mouths a lot of people won't close their mouths they're not willing to close their mouths they don't know when to close their mouths why? arrogance of the flesh if your neighbor your next door neighbor allowed his own son to die so that you could be saved from something would you say anything more about anything to him let's get it down to like a real life situation that maybe you know you can you know a person something you can see something you can imagine visually happening to you next door would you would you say anything to that father who gave up his son in some way to save your life? Or would you just be in a state of humble gratitude always, as long as it's called today? The Spirit gave us some very critical uh, thinking about mercy and how even something as pure as mercy has perverted or been perverted in the churches, at least in our American culture. In the american churches it might again be classified classified as a form of enablement to allow man to live as he wants to live man seeking god to accommodate him so he can hold on to the self-life so here's another key point worth repeating regarding perverted mercy one particular way in which contemporary christian churches have perverted the definition of mercy is to propose the following lie God is so merciful that he grants forgiveness even to those who refuse his son, who refuse to repent, who refuse to be humbled, but they live a good life. They're a good person. That's one of the most perverted things that has infiltrated the churches. That's not mercy at all. It's really looking a gift horse in the mouth. And this is a good place to remember that forgiveness is granted to those who repent. Forgiveness is granted to those who repent. If God is is so gracious, which he is, and salvation is a free gift, which it is, why isn't everybody saved? Simply because they refuse to admit or surrender to Christ. They refuse to admit they need him. And they stand on their own goodness as being good enough. Why isn't everybody saved? So there's no forgiveness unless someone's willing to repent, to have that attitude towards God. I, that's why I love Acts uh, 20, I think it is, where Paul says he preached to Jews and Gentiles repentance towards God and then faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's an attitude of repentance towards God. I've offended you, Lord. I, I'm guilty. You know, There's a surrender there. That's real. That, that's an attitude. Um, so without that, God's not going to give them forgiveness. It, the offer's there all the time. He's waiting for them to accept it. Think about it this way. A truly guilty person doesn't have the option to do things his own way. If there's guilt, then forgiveness is rightly the prerogative of the one that's offended. The guilty person doesn't have any rights in this equation. If someone commits a crime against you, like a felony against you personally, the ball is now in your court whether you decide to forgive them or not. There's nothing that they have a, a right or a say in. There's no compromising. There's no um, negotiating. You're guilty, you're guilty. The judge says you're guilty, you're guilty. Your only hope, Is mercy. And that is purely something from the offended party, that the offended party has the right to give. And and the offended party rightly asks for repentance. The world would have us think we don't have to do things right anymore. Anything goes, just let me live my life, even though I've offended you and hurt you. But that's not right and that's not true. That God's ways are right. Thank God, He's a God of justice and mercy. But as the sovereign God of the universe, He says it's right to repent to receive forgiveness. It's right of God for, for Him to ask us to repent, to demand us to repent. He's waiting to give it all to us, but He's just not going to forgive those that don't want to be forgiven. It is that free will again, right? Surrender of the will to him. So it's very gracious, actually, that God demands repentance. Otherwise, you stay in the quagmire of sin and death, which just ends horribly. Let's see some scripture to illustrate God's way of thinking on what's right in this area. Uh, Go to Luke 17, verse 3. Luke seventeen three. So forgiveness is granted to those who repent. And we're talking about the proper view of, of mercy. Luke seventeen three Jesus said, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. Notice the condition for forgiveness is repentance. For forgiveness to be granted, repentance is called, demanded even. All men want forgiveness, but they will not be forgiven by God if they refuse to repent and believe in the Son of God as the only way to be saved. In fact, as the Lord said in John chapter 8, they will die in their sins, meaning they have no forgiveness. Go to Matthew 18, verse 15. Matthew 18, 15. So we're talking about how many churches, so-called Christian churches, they give this perverted definition of mercy. Like it's all okay because of the love of God, you can do whatever you want. You don't even have to repent. You don't have to believe in Jesus. Believe in another God. You know, God knows you're a quote-unquote good person. The mercy just got basically thrown out the window. It got butchered. There's a reason. There's a. There's a reason. There's a need for mercy because somebody is with their back against the wall, guilty, condemned, no way out of the prison. Look at Matthew eighteen fifteen. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens, there's a sign of repentance. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or, and a tax collector. Pointing to like an unbeliever. What's the problem? He refuses to listen. There's a refusal to be humble, to repent and say, I'm guilty, I'm sorry. There's a refusal of that. So guess what? He doesn't actually get forgiven in this passage. He gets shunned in this passage. For his own benefit, that's actually grace and mercy but the world doesn't see it that way. And the world has infiltrated the churches, so a lot of churches don't see it that way. It's grace without truth in a lot of situations. Some people, even Christians, would say this verse that we just read isn't right, that it's not merciful, but it's very merciful. God says it's merciful and loving to correct your brother and lead him to repentance. It's merciful to not leave somebody in a pit. That's what our enabling society does now. Just leave them in the pit. They want to be, that's okay. As though they're not in a pit. As though there's another way out. Another way to a healthy life. True life. So without repentance, as we've seen, there is no real life. There's only living in deception and eventually judgment. So again, live in today. Live in the now as a believer, as an evangelist. You might just save some, have a peace in that. Again, on the board regarding God's mercy. Mercy does not widen the gate that leads to life. It is abundantly merciful for God to even open said gate at all. That's the proper perspective. He didn't have to die for us. As also came out on Tuesday, whether mankind likes to acknowledge it or not, God possesses a justifiable wrath against fallen man. Man doesn't want to talk about it. The churches don't want to talk about it. Let's not really go to the Bible, like honestly, like all the time. Let's pick out a nice verse we like and preach a whole message on one verse. And like be, you know flowery about it let's make it fit our cultures and so we don't disturb anybody's peace and that's not merciful at all is it really so it's justifiable that god has wrath against fallen man we're the guilty ones we're the ones who have sinned against him if that's the case if that's the truth which it is then beggars can't be choosers with mercy They should just be happy to receive any mercy at all. But arrogant man says, I want it my way. Even though I'm guilty, even though I've been pronounced guilty, and I'm deserving of punishment, I still want it my way. It's so crazy. But that's how Satan's system has gotten so many people entrenched in arrogance. If someone's guilty of a crime and is standing before a judge, his only option is to plead for mercy. His only option is if the judge decides to be merciful or not. There's nothing that he can control in the situation, like zero. A guilty person has no rights. He doesn't have the right to claim he has options. He deserves his punishment for his crime. That's right in God's eyes and in the world's eyes. At least it used to be. So, On the board, mercy is solely in the hands of the offended party. That's the point. So if that's true, shouldn't there be humility on the part of man towards God? If it's totally in his hands, totally up to him? As we heard in an analogy on Sunday, God's mercy is so extravagant because it's so undeserved. And I loved hearing this analogy, which I'll just repeat for you briefly. It's like a woman that lives like a whore and gives herself away to every man in the land. And then the most honorable man, the most honorable man in the whole land offers her his hand in marriage. That's what God has done for us sinners. That's the loving, merciful God that we have. But some people act like arrogant prostitutes and refuse the nobleman's hand. It's like refusing forgiveness. It's like refusing, it is refusing mercy and grace. Or they add to, they add their own conditions to it. You're not in a position to add your own conditions to it if you're guilty. It's totally on the one that was offended that has the right and the privilege of offering you mercy. It's like a king offering a peasant who has a great debt against him, total forgiveness of the debt. We know this from one of Jesus' parables. Total forgiveness of the debt. And on top of that, have a seat on the throne next to me. That's the king we have. But the arrogant people say, no, I want it my own way. I want my own conditions. I'd appreciate it if you forgive my debt, but I want this and this and this too. As though they had any rights in the situation. Some people refuse to admit they've sinned against God. Have you met them? I've met people that refuse to admit that they've sinned or that they're a sinner. But there's a reason the Bible says we need to be saved from God's wrath. Why is why does God have wrath against man? Something else came out on Tuesday is that God is immutable. He never changes, being just or righteous, for example. And his creatures don't get to come along and weigh in on what's right and wrong. It's just not how it works. He is who he is, and he's perfect in every way. So on the board, let's review a few more points from Tuesday. Salvation is given to those willing to receive it on God's terms. Not some negotiated contract invented by man through his own reasoning and sensibilities toward self. Mercy is a non-negotiable term. The Bible describes its limits with regard to salvation. I mean this is a really important, you know, well-worded point. It's on God's terms, it's not negotiated, it can't be negotiated by man, through his own reasoning and sensibilities toward self. Man's got his opinions, and they're usually pretty ugly. Again, on the board, mercy does not widen the gate that leads to life. It is abundantly merciful for God to even open said gate at all. And this must cause us to take pause and rejoice in God's merciful plan to sanctify us. It's total, 100% mercy. Again, isn't it enough that God purposely sacrificed His uniquely born Son for all of us? What are people thinking? What are Christians thinking in some churches? It's astonishing. Instead of focusing on what God supposedly doesn't do for mankind, we ought to rightly focus on all that He does for His fallen creatures. God's mercy is far beyond human comprehension even. For who knows the thoughts and intentions of the heart except him? See, only he knows how merciful, how stunningly merciful he's being toward us. Because he knows our thoughts and our intentions of our heart. That's sick. Like he sees all of our sickness at the worst level because he knows the very thoughts that you carry, the wrong motives that you carry. And he forgives that. He's offering mercy for all of it. And yet man is never satisfied with God. Always willing to challenge him. His grace, his mercy, and his love even. It's crazy. But again, man has no rights in the equation. And he can only ask God questions if he humbly, honestly, is seeking God. God is after the attitude of the heart, we know. How many times did Jesus not even answer people's questions? you totally refused to answer their questions. He answered them with another question. He gave them a parable. Wouldn't answer the question. Why? Didn't Jesus love them? Maybe they were simply arrogant. They weren't asking questions out of humility. Like, I want to know. They were asking questions to get their own way. And Christ, knowing all things, knew that. So God's after the attitude of the heart. And you can ask him all the questions you want if you ask him in humility. That came out on Tuesday. What father wouldn't want to hear from his son if his son is humble and honestly wants to know his father's ways? But what father father listens to his son when he's asking arrogantly? Or asking in a conniving way to get out of something or get his own way. Even a human father can tell that in his child. How much more God, right? So let's close with this reminder God's glory is in his grace. This is what I was reminded of um, after Sunday's message. God's glory is in his grace. What makes our God so awesome? Like, what makes God so amazing and so glorious? Is it his power and his justice? Yeah, that's part of it. But it's also his graciousness and his mercy towards fallen, guilty creatures. That's what truly makes a great king. Ask any peasant that owes him a great debt that he cannot pay. That's a great king in the peasant's eyes. Any king can wield his power and rule his subjects, but not any king will be merciful to his subjects, even to those who owe him a great debt. So let's close with a few scriptures on the board. In Ephesians 1.6, it says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. The praise of the glory of his grace turn again in your bibles to uh, Exodus 33 Exodus 33:18 33, I say again because we've been to this verse in the past I'm sure you'll recognize it God's glory is in his grace Exodus 33:18 Then Moses said, "I pray you, show me your glory" Talking to God. And God said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. There's mercy, my friends. That's God's glory. What did Moses want to see is glory. What did God say? Watch me be compassionate and merciful. It's up to the sovereign Lord As the king, it's up to him to choose to be merciful to the humble. And he does it, even though he doesn't have to. On the board, we see Isaiah 30, verse 18. It says, Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. Who are the blessed ones? Who are the ones that receive his grace and compassion and justice? Those who long for him. Those that are humble. Those that honestly want to know him. And this is how our king calls us to live each day as his believers, as his ambassadors, as a reflection of him. Go to uh, Matthew 23, verse 23. two more verses as we close. Matthew 23, 23. So our king, this merciful king, the one that's like giving mercy out so freely to those who turn to him humbly, he wants us to live like him. He wants us to be an extension of him. But the Pharisees, they didn't see that. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. They claim to know God, but they didn't live in his mercy. Go to Zechariah 7, verse 9. Zechariah, towards the end of the New- Old Testament. Zechariah 7, 9. So, again, we're called to live like, like he lived. And mercy is a big part of that. Zechariah 7, 9. Thus has the Lord of hosts said, Dispense true justice and practice kindness and compassion each to his brother. And do not oppress the widow or the orphan, the stranger or the poor, and do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. So again, on the board, God's glory is in his grace. May we never forget the merciful king we have and gratefully, honor Him each and every day while it's still called today. Amen? All right, let's bow. Father, we thank You so much that You are a merciful God. Even though You're the sovereign Lord of the universe and the King of kings, You choose to be merciful and You freely give Your grace to the humble. Father, we're forever grateful that you did this and that you purchased our freedom by sacrificing your own son in our place. Help us every day, Father, see your mercy actively in our lives, and help us every day be open to what you have for us in the day as we're just pilgrims passing through. Father, we ask that you bless everyone listening, that you give us traveling mercies as we go, In Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your spirit. Amen. Thank you.